Hi, I'm Ryan, and welcome to Joni Jams, a podcast going album by album through Joni Mitchell's entire discography. Today, I'm going to be reviewing Joni's 1994 album, Turbulent Indigo. Ooh, spooky. (laughs) Yes, Turbulent Indigo. You know, it's kind of fitting that I'm reviewing this album during the uh, early months of fall. Fall is slowly coming upon us. It's very moody and dark and atmospheric, and that's exactly (laughs) what it feels like to listen to this album. I'm so excited to talk about it because it's Basically, I would consider this album to be like a renaissance of Joni's career. You know, like her 90s work suddenly became popular. I don't know. Joni during the 90s had this weird peak where Night Ride Home started becoming like started getting popular. And then all of a sudden she hit Turbulent Indigo and it was like she was at her peak success again. And well, peak success for like the 90s era. And then Taming the Tiger kind of goes back down. But still. This album is amazing, and it actually got talked about a lot by critics, so, you know, there's some positives there. Um, It came out October 25th, 1994, um, which will also be my dad's birthday is October 25th, so happy birthday to him. Um, And it peaked at 47 on the U.S. Billboard charts, which is pretty amazing. I can't remember if that's higher than Night Ride Home peaked or not. I didn't didn't put that, but either way, still peaked pretty good for, you know, an artist who was already, what, 30 years in her career? 20, 30 years? I think it would be 30 years. You know, hitting 47 on the Billboard charts is pretty impressive, and it just, it got so much praise. It was, you know, applauded by critics. People were like, yay, she's going back to her roots, and she's becoming, you know, well, this really was actually the most acoustic album that she had done well, I guess Night Ride Home was acoustic, but I'm saying, you know, even further back than that, since probably Hajira, maybe. I feel like that was the last time we really got this raw. Because even on Night Ride Home, there was a lot of synthy stuff. But on here, I would say the use of synths are pretty, pretty minimal, but they're used in a really good way. Like, I wish that maybe 80s Joni, who is just kind of exploring synths, could have 90s Joni's, like, knowledge of them. So, you know, she could maybe get them a little less intense as they were in the 80s, but that's okay. I still still love that work, but, you know, this is just a little bit more uh, easy to listen to in the ears, easier to digest. I should also say that, speaking of the high praise of this album, it won her two Grammys. Yes! She got one for uh, Best Pop Album and the other for Best Recording Package, which I actually don't know if they even make that Grammy anymore. I don't think Recording Package is a Grammy anymore, but... For the year that it, she got it, she it was a category. But what's kind of funny is that Joni had said uh, during the awards, like she was like, if I, I told myself before I came, if I won the one for music, I'll stick to music. And if I won the one for the artwork, I'll stick to painting. But I won both. So I'm going to keep doing both. And she, I mean, she did. You can tell that, you know, she definitely had some spark in her for at least a, one more album. But uh, by the end of the Grammys, I think she realized, or the end of like the kind of like the, you know, that heightened period after Turbulent Indigo came out, I think she realized that she was pretty done with the music industry. Uh, It's kind of funny. There's a story that after, the night after the Grammy Awards, or the day after the Grammy Awards, she was all excited, you know, and then she opened up a magazine and there was a section and it was like stars then and stars now. And Joni was in the stars then category. And she was like, I just won two fucking Grammys and I'm in the then category. Uh, But it's interesting because in the 90s, Obviously, like, the 90s had this resurgence of, like, rock music and more stripped-back kind of sounds, I guess, to retaliate from the 80s. You know, I think of, like, the grunge movement, things like that. But also another big movement was kind of this return to the singer, female singer-songwriter. So it kind of started making a comeback. You know, you see people like Alanis Morissette, Sheryl Crow, um, who, who else? A lot of those, you know, those girls, that kind of group of people. And all of them were kind of crediting Joni as an influence in a way. But no, but it was like Joni was being credited as an influence. Like she didn't make music anymore. Or she wasn't talked about anymore. <laughs> and critics were all loving these new girls. And they were like, oh, no, we're not listening to Joni. And I think that she just started feeling really out of place and pissed off. And I mean, after what she had gone through in the 80s, where basically she was blacklisted off the radio you know, this small glimmer of success, I think, was nice, but she still realizes that they're trying to push her out of, you know, her game. I mean, she said in an interview during this time period that, you know, she's basically in uncharted territory at this point, being in her 50s and trying to still make popular music. Not that she makes music to be popular, but, you know, music that's 
widely listened to by people is kind of uncharted territory. And she's right. It is uncharted territory. And basically they were trying to shut her out in a way. And she was like, what the hell? Like I'm still making just as good of music, if not better yet. They're not talking about me. It kind of reminds me of, um, this is such a side note, but it reminds me of, uh, Joan Rivers used to say, she was like, I hate when people tell me that, oh, you broke doors. I'm still breaking doors, bitch. <laughs> and that's like, I feel like that's literally how Joni felt during this time period. She's like, I'm still fucking making music that is deeper and more sophisticated than any of y'all. Uh, but it's also funny that during this time period at, at the Grammys, there's so much talk about that Grammy night because it's just such a kind of peak in the 90s. She said, I, kind of, I think it's kind of trendy to give me awards right now. So, you know, I guess that's what it is. Like, it's like she almost had to, like, rationalize getting awards because she was like, mm, everyone forgot about me. If she feels forgotten in a way, I don't know. I guess that's kind of where, where she's coming from at this time period. But either way, also, can we talk about her outfit at the Grammys? What are, what were we all, what are our thoughts on that green outfit? You know, I, uh, <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? I don't know. It's just not, not my fave. Anyways, she was glowing that night, happy to win. Uh, also, oh my gosh, how did I not bring this up earlier? So the album is called Turbulent Indigo, and speaking of turbulent, her life was a little turbulent at this period, not just in her career, you know, kind of being shut out by the music industry, but also her and Larry Klein, Sad Emoji, are getting a divorce as they are making this album. Literally, day one of the album, Joni tells the guy, like, coming into the studio, she's like, oh, by the way, me and Larry are getting a divorce, so, you know do with that what you will. And, you know, it's it just added so much kind of rawness and intensity to this time period. Uh, I know Joni said that they got cats in the studio to relieve the tension, but I can only imagine that the tension at this time period between the two was insane because they both were still producing and working on this album together. Yet, you know, their marriage was in was basically in shambles. It was, it was done. Last chance was lost, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, so that kind of informs a lot of the way she feels on this album. I think that this album shows Joni at, you know, a lot of bitterness towards, I think towards the music industry, towards love, towards fame. She's bitter about that. She's angry about it. She's sad about it. Uh, politically, she's sad. There's some political stuff on this album as well. It's just everything around her seems to be feeling very dark and kind of upsetting. And that informs this idea of turbulent indigo. Life is, you know, turbulent. It's blue. It's dark. And so that's kind of the theme of the album. Um, I would say this album has a lot of like, I don't know, acoustic and like soundscapey vibes like Ajira rather than like the 80s albums. I know I kind of said that earlier, but the music itself gives more of a... I don't know. There's something atmospheric about some of the songs. Like I think of Sunny Sunday or Yvette in English has like a moody atmosphere built. Like she, like something about the way she has these very like low sounding synths on the music gives it this sort of atmosphere. That's really chilling in times. It's good. Um, there are some like character studies a little bit. There's also some maybe real life <laughs> stories of people, uh, Jackson Brown, just, you know, maybe talking about you. Um, she does a cover of a James Brown song of a, how do you stop? How do you stop? So that's also on here. So there's all these, like, all these little things going on at once. Uh, definitely an influence of Van Gogh. Obviously, we'll talk about that with the cover. But I think that the idea of Van Gogh, how he was, you know, this great artist that was misunderstood and kind of cast out of society and you know he was dealing with a lot I feel like she relates herself to that in this album and it's almost like she is putting herself like she's using Van Gogh as a catharsis for how she's feeling about you know her music her life this time period and uh yeah it's it's such an this is such an intriguing time I've always felt like this period is so interesting because you see Joni making the album and it's very upsetting and angry place but then after the album comes out and she has all this success, it's like you would expect her to suddenly change and be happy. But as we'll see on Taming the Tiger, she I think on Taming the Tiger, she's even more bitter at the industry. I mean, I think about the song Taming the Tiger, where she's like, I'm so sick of this game. It's hip, it's hot, you know, but that's next album. Anyways, <laughs> the, let's talk about the artwork on this album. Uh, as I was saying, Van Gogh is definitely an influence. And if you look at the cover, you will see Joni uh, doing a portrait of herself as Van Gogh in a frame. <laughs> There's like a few layers going on. Basically, she's uh, 
replicating that famous Van Gogh portrait with his ear cut off, and she just puts herself in his face. Uh, and she paints it, obviously. And I love the painting. It's absolutely stunning the way that she kind of captures Van Gogh's style with, like, the brushstrokes and stuff, but still makes it very her own. I know that when the album came out, like, the first... I think it was, like, the first thousand copies, was it? Like, if you got the CD, that you would get, like, a small little keychain metal ear. Or I don't even know if it's the keychain, but, like, a small little metal ear as, like, a joke. Ha, ha, ha. You know, cutting off the ear. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a really... I mean, there's no better kind of description of Turbulent Indigo than putting the man himself, Van Gogh, kind of having him as the main influence or picture of the album. I think it's a great poster for what the album is going to be about, you know, kind of what she's talking about at this time period. And uh, yeah, I love this cover so much. It's definitely one that I do see people talking about, thankfully. There's this gorgeous photo, now that I'm thinking about it, of Joni standing in front of it. Like, it's actually a lot bigger than it looks on the cover, like, in real life. And she's, like, smoking a cigarette and looking at it. It's, like, so good. Like, I just am obsessed. But, uh, yeah, definitely a great... This I love when artwork matches, like, the theme of the album really well. Like, Night Ride Home's artwork is, was, like, perfectly like that. Um, Joni actually, you know, I can't think of an album that she does where it doesn't, well, oh, Shine, but we're not there. Um, sometimes she misses it, but usually for the most part, she's great at capturing the artwork on the front cover to really fit with the theme of kind of the album. I love when artists do that. Sometimes you see them and they just like, don't correlate. You're like, how did you get this from this? But anyways, also, can you tell how I'm a little sick right now? So my voice is very low. So I feel like I'm really fitting in Joni's older older voice on this album because she definitely if you listen to her sing on here it's completely different than her singing on like i don't know on blue there's a lot more depth to it i'm kind of sounding like when Joni does her bob dylan impression <laughs> you know i'm always loving that bob dylan impression can't ever stop talking about it but uh yes so let's actually get into the songs of this album because there is so much ground to cover and i just want to have as much time as possible to talk about them so we open the album on a very bright and lovely note, well, deceivingly bright and lovely note, with the track Sunny Sunday. It is such a short song. This It's like literally two minutes. It's so kind of, you know, it's there and then it's gone. <laughs> and uh, But it's a really, really interesting opener. I have no idea kind of what, what made her think that this would be the best opening track. I actually do really like it, so I'm not mad about it, but I'm curious, like, what her, you know, mindset was about it. And I think, well, obviously, uh, well, not obviously, I guess, but this song was written about a true story that Joni had heard of this man, like, that she was friends with. He knew a woman that basically she would shoot at her streetlight every day, and if she hit it, she would leave the man she was with, basically. Like, hitting that streetlight was the only sign she needed left. And once she hit it, she would leave the relationship. And I think almost that Joni maybe opened this album with this song because she was saying that all she needs is one sign and she's going to leave, you know, marriage, the music industry. Like, it's all about, like, that one defining moment and then she's going to be gone. Like, and I think it's just a great parallel kind of track to everything she was going through at this time. Um it uses the devil's interval interval chord on this song in the line. It's like, it's like that one little victory. That's all she needs that line. Um, which is the devil's interval is basically like it was banned in churches because it was like the chord progression sounded like had inquiry or doubt and doubt in music and like religious music is like not supposed to be good. Cause it's like, why are you doubtful? You should be, Believe, you know, you should be believing in what God has to say. So it was kind of banned, but Joni, for some reason, uses it. Like, I think she didn't even do it on purpose, and it's there, and it sounds really good. I actually should say that I do love the music of this song so much. Like, there's like a mysterious, kind of looming quality of the way the guitar sounds. It's all very, like, airy, and I don't know, there's just, there's something airy, but then there's also, like, deeply hidden that's dark like and it's a lot of it I think has to do with Joni's voice like the way she sings like when she's like just another like she's just like I don't know she's really getting me with the the vocals on this song it's kind of one of my favorite parts I do love the line she dodges the light like Blanche Dubois I love any Blanche Dubois streetlight streetcar named Des Desire 
reference, you know? I just think that is so funny. Like, I'm just imagining this, like, like it paints such a good picture of this, like, woman, like, who kind of has this, like, I don't know. I always think of, like, Vivian Lee, like, that look. But anyways, I love that movie, so I just thought I'd point that out. Also, I would say with her writing on this song, it kind of goes into what the rest of the album's writing is going to be like, where she's a lot less metaphorical at this point in her writing, and she's a lot more observational and, like, kind of blunt. You know, you see that on Night Ride Home, but here it's just, you see it as well. Like it's, she's just very matter of fact about things, you know, not using a lot of colorful language, basically like that one little victory lap's all she needs. Like that's all she needs. Like she's not doing anything like colorful with it, kind of implying something. She's stating it directly. The day she hits, that's the day she'll leave. But then it's funny. Cause at the end of the song, it's like, she pulls the state and it's just another. And then you're expecting like sunny Sunday and it's sunny Monday. And then it's like the cycle repeats. Everything continues over and over again. Like, will she leave him? Will she not leave him? I guess she does leave him in the end because, you know, if this is about Joni, she does leave Larry. But yeah, as an opener, this is one of those like sweet, short kind of moments, but it's really, really well done. I don't think there's, you know, any negative critiques I have with this song besides it's not long enough for me. I would love a a second verse or something, but you'll see that actually on a few songs on this album where she doesn't really feel the need to give a bunch of, you know, multiple verses to something where, cause like she just states it so clearly in the first one or two, like I think of last chance loss as well. So yeah, Sunday Sunday is actually a track I really like. I love playing it on guitar and, uh, yeah, it's really enjoyable. But uh, comparing that light note to the next track on this album, which is Sex Kills. No? Anyone else? I have a really funny story about Sex Kills that I will I will lead you all into. The, this, I'm always talking about what got me into Joni, but this song is actually one of the first Joni songs that I got myself into. Of course, I always talk about Ladies of the Canyon was kind of my first, you know, exploration. But this song was, for some reason, I think it just has to do with the title, simply Sex Kills. Like, that's, there's something like, I don't know, I guess Sex Sells makes me want to click on the song. Um, (laughs) Because I was like, what does that mean, Sex Kills? Like, it's so, I don't know, it's so abrupt and direct. And then, you know, I heard the song and it has this, like, melody that's so, like, dark and haunting and these drums like like does anyone else listen to the song and like get like chills like with that it's like I know it's like a major chord that opens the song but it's so it has so much inquiry and like darkness to it that it, it doesn't sound major at all it sounds like very there's something spooky and eerie going on see spooky it's so Halloween moment um but What I found out, obviously, by listening to the song is that it's really not about sex. I mean, the title is definitely a little deceiving because I think she's more just saying that, uh, how how am I going to describe this? Basically, like, humans keep, you know, they have sex and create, you know, another generation. And with every generation, you you keep creating more and more people that, you know, are deteriorating the earth. Like, humans read like reproduce and produce a whole generation that kills themselves again. So, like, sex kills, basically. I think that's what she's saying. Obviously, she could be just talking, like, you know, about a whole bunch of other things. I know some people say that this song is about the AIDS crisis, like, sex kills, but I don't... I don't think Joni would, would imply that, like... I don't know. I think that to say that this song is about the AIDS crisis is implying that Joni thinks that like gay sex kills. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that it's about AIDS. I personally, I know that AIDS is such a important epidemic going on. Well, it's still going on, but you know, at this time period, it was, you know, at its full throttle at this time period. But I don't think that's what she was talking about. I don't know. It was based because it was based on the LA riots in 1992, which were the Rodney King riots, which Uh, I actually didn't know this, but 63 people died, 12,000 people were arrested, and there was a billion dollars in property damage. And so I think that all this going on in the city made Joni kind of want to write some sort of song. And she went, pulled up behind a car, and on the license plate, it said, Just Ice. And she was like, wait a fucking minute. (laughs) She had that, like, moment where she was like, what? You know, like that meme of that girl 
where like that like woman's face where her, she has like her mouth open and then there's all these like math equations. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Like that is what I imagine she's when she saw the just ice thing. She was like, wait a goddamn minute. Is justice just ice? And then I got her into this whole like, you know, delving into the idea of what is justice. And she was asking like lawyers and her friends that were lawyers. She was like, what is justice? And then she read Plato's idea of justice. And she was like, well, Plato's idea of justice is unjust because he believes in a society of specialists. And if it were a society of specialists, then I couldn't be a painter and a singer. It's kind of like, actually, she's Georgia O'Keeffe one time told her, like, oh, I wish I could have been a musician. And Joni was like, well, why can't you? You can be both. And she was like, wait, what? So <laughs> that's us, I know. But so basically justice and kind of what is justice, who gets justice, why don't some people get justice and others do, was on her mind during this time period with the L.A. riots in 1992. And that, you know, developed into this song. And this song basically talks about everything. I mean, gas leaks, oil spills, sexual violence, school shooters, climate change. Like, there is not, there's not one thing untouched in this song. And I know that... I've read reviews of this album and they've said that the lyrics on this song seem a little like childish. I don't think so. Like basically they're saying like the chorus, the gas leaks, the OS bills, sex sells everything and sex kills is like, I don't know, rudimentary compared to Joni's other writing. But like I said, she's just being very blunt and honest. She's just saying, you know, every, the cycle continues. The gas continues to leak. The oil continues to spill sex sells everything and sex continues to kill. Like it's like a nonstop cycle and she, you know, she's not using a metaphor to describe it. She's just saying exactly what it is. I mean, she says you can feel it out in traffic. Everyone hates everyone. I know she has said during this time period that, you know, there used to be a period in LA when if you wanted to pass someone while driving, you know, they'd say, Oh sure. Be my guest. But at this time, you know, it's like you want to pass someone and they flip you off and they're like, fuck off. Like there's no, sense of decency. Everyone hates everyone. Things are just so, you know, falling apart. And we, we are a generation of people that hate each other and cause violence to each other. I mean, she talks about little kids packing guns to school, rapists in the pool, like all these like horrible things going on are just like, it's just continuing over and over again. And it seems to never stop. Like, it, you know, like we keep reproducing and having more people that are just going to come and cause chaos and violence to the world. And it's just, I think for me, the saddest parts about these like songs that Joni does at this time period, like the political ones at least, like you know, like on Doggy Dog or Chalkmark or here, is that I really don't think that anything has gotten better. If anything, like this song is more telling of the times today than it's ever been. You know what I mean? And like that to me is just so, it's so depressing because. I wish you could say that this song was just about a certain period in time, but if anything, it's just gotten worse. I actually liked that. I saw Joni when she did the uh, Gorge. It was at the uh, Gorge for like that concert she did with them. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was shade. Um, she sang Sex Kills, which I was so happy to see because I, you know, she doesn't really get to sing a lot of her later work at these recent concerts she's been doing. She's kind of been forced to sing, you know, the standard Joni Mitchell songs. I don't know. So I was glad to see that. But um, yeah, Sex Kills is just such, oh, it's a song I absolutely, I love the darkness of it. I'm saddened by the, you know, accuracy of it. This was really the main, I would say, promo song that she did for this album. She did this on so many late night shows compared to, I guess because the album was so successful, she was going on these late night shows that she had never gone on or hadn't gone on in years. Like I saw her on a, Leno and a, oh, was it Letterman? She also did like kind of going back to these, you know, people and seeing her finally getting able to sing, you know, her music on air. And yeah, this song was definitely a big, her big kind of single. I don't know if it was, no, How Do You Stop was released as a single. Sorry, I forgot. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But <laughs> yeah, this was her main song she was singing. Also Magdalene Laundries. But either way, I love Sex Kills so much. I think it's a great song. And it's just, it's really tragic how much of a reality it is to this day, you know. Will anything ever change? I don't think so. But either way, I love Six Kills and uh, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say. So now, like I alluded to two seconds ago, let's go to the main release single of this album, 
which is not a song written by Joni, but written by Char- Charlie Midnight and Dan Hartman and made famous by James Brown, which is How Do You Stop? How Do You Stop? So with this version of How Do You Stop, Joni has Seal with her, the singer Seal as backing vocal, and basically she decided to release this as a lead single because at this time period, I think Madonna and someone else had a song come out the same day as the album was supposed to come out or the lead single was supposed to come out. And so her record label was like, okay, we're not going to go with like sex kills or something political. Let's try to go with something that will match that. So they released this. And I, I don't know if that was the best choice. Uh, I don't even know if it charted at all, but I think it's a pretty good cover. I know I can see why Joni chose to have this album on the, this cover on the album. First of all, Joni just likes, I think she really likes rock and roll music and James Brown has that vibe. So it makes sense. I know that someone in an interview was like, I was so surprised to hear you sing a James Brown song. And she was like, why? I grew up in rock and roll music. But either way, um, they basically take the song and kind of give it like a soft, I don't know. The Definitely this is a heavy, the synths are heavy here than they are in any other area of the album, I think. But it sounds pretty good. I love the lyric on this song. I know these aren't Joni's lyrics, but they match so well. And I can see why Joni chose this song. Like, one day you're too young, then you're in your prime, then you're looking back at the hands of time. Or the idea like fame and fortune can hold you tight in the late hours of the night. It's like these themes of like flame, flame, fame, fleeing, growing older, wanting a partner, like all these kind of losing, losing touch with like reality, like with not with reality, but with like the current social, you know, crew or group. I don't know. I just like I totally understand why she chose this song. Because those lyrics kind of think resonate with her, especially the one day or two and then you're in your prime, then you're looking back because that's kind of how people were viewing her at this time period. Like, oh, yeah, that artist from the 70s, Joni Mitchell, as if she hadn't been making music continuously since the 70s. Like she hasn't stopped or anything. So it's like, you know, I don't know. It's like Joni just always seems to be questioning or dissatisfied with growing older in her music or kind of growing out of, you know, the way people see her. And this song just kind of reinforces the idea about like, how can you stop the world turning time, passing it on? I don't know. Everything continues. Like, how do you stop what goes on? I guess it goes into that idea she sings about on Chinese cafe. Like nothing lasts for long. Everything changes. Nothing kind of stays the same, including fame, you know, the level of fame, age, love, all these things. Uh, Seal sounds really good on this song. Actually. I do like his vocals a lot. Like he has a really nice, high uh not high voice but you know he can do some higher notes and those sound really good with Joni's kind of deeper deeper sound I just my only only complaint with this album is I wish that it was a little bit more acoustic rather than the um kind of synthy vibe that they give it I do really like the bridge though like the part where the, the band really breaks out and you hear like but uh how do you stop a runaway train like, and every kind of part is all moving together in a lot more cohesive way. I don't know. I like that section a lot. But overall, this song has never been, like, my absolute favorite. It's a good cover, but it's just not not my favorite song. So, you know, that's all right, though. I know there's a lot of people that do like it. So, yes. I don't think I have much to say just because it's not a uh, Joni-written song, you know. She just likes to sing some songs that she likes periodically, and this is one of them. So that's all I really have to say about that. But now, let's go to a song that I have so much to say about, which is the title track of this album, entitled Turbulent Indigo. (laughs) Did I I get low enough for everyone? Um, This is one of, if not the, darkest songs on this album. She is angry. She is pissed. She is like, this is Joni fighting back, you know, what is that phrase? Like, claws and nails? arm and nails (laughs) who knows what I'm talking about but like she is just so pissed off at the industry the art world and this song basically references she's using that like kind of Van Gogh as a catharsis in a way this idea of artists trying to replicate like you're like people trying to replicate artists without the baggage that comes with great art and I think that Joni had actually written it about Canadian art schools that try to teach their painters like to paint like Van Gogh even though really these like elitist art teachers don't know that if you were to, if they actually had Van Gogh as a student, they would scoff at him probably for, you know, his mental illness or, you know, just the things that Van Gogh went through because he was 
definitely a challenged person. Like, I think it's just well known to history that Van Gogh, you know, I think he, they say he probably had bipolar disorder and he, which I also do. So, you know, a fellow bipolar friend. Um, and I think that he struggled a lot, but one thing that came with that was art was a great release for him. And he was able to make these beautifully colorful and vibrant post-impressionistic paintings that they can't be replicated yet. Schools want to try to teach people to paint like him without having them, you know, take on the baggage that he really went through. You know, you want to make Van Gogh's, you want to raise them up like sheep. She's basically talking about the ironies that like, you really like, you just think art can be, you know, formulated like raising cattle when there's so much deeper things that go on to making art. And I think Joni sees that for herself too. All these people making these kind of generic pop songs, getting famous, but she's out here making this like deep art that's like raw and bears her soul. And it just, you know, and it takes so much more than just trying to sound like everyone else or make fit like a model that people are trying to place on you. And I just, the lyrics on the song are so good. And also the music on this song, chef's kiss, absolutely brilliant. It is so dark. Like the, like it's so, I don't know, like some melodies for me, I can't describe it, but like they like pull me in in like a hypnotic way. Like something about them is just so like, dark but interesting and I love I just love it so much and the drumming on this song also is just so good it fits this dark pissed off angry mood that she has I love the line he'd piss in her their fireplace he'd drag them through turbulent indigo or uh tourists talking about the madhouse talking about the ear the madman hangs in fancy homes but they wouldn't let him near kind of this idea that oh these rich people oh they're like oh I'm gonna hang a Van Gogh in my home but if they actually were to meet someone like Van Gogh going through, you know, what he went through, they would be like, ew, I don't want to be around him. Like, I don't want that. So it's these, like, ironies of people wanting art or wanting to have, or you know, like, celebrate art without actually realizing the artist or, you know, kind of understanding what that artist had to go through. And she just basically says, you know, there's no mercy. There's no mercy, sweet Jesus. Like, it's so turbulent. The world is in turbulent indigo. No one understands. And this is just, I don't know. It's one of my favorite title tracks, I think, out of all of her music because it's so direct and pointed at these people. And she's just basically kind of giving them like the finger, like, like, fuck off. Stop trying to like replicate past people without realizing what comes with it. Like, stop. I don't know. She's just so upset by this. And I don't know if necessarily she feels this exact way about like, like, I don't know if every line in the song is, is something that she feels versus something about Van Gogh, but there's definitely a lot of parallels that make it work. And I can see why she chose this as the title track for the album. Like why she named the album turbulent indigo. Cause it's just this idea of being, you know, drowned in this turbulent world, turbulent art world, love world, political worlds, <laughs> all these worlds being built that she's just pissed off at. So yeah, I love Turbulent Indigo, though. Oh, it's it's such a good song. I Like, I really wish people would appreciate this song so much more. No one ever talks about it, but it's it's just my fave. I love it so much. Uh, I didn't say, not my favorite on the album, but my fave. So, that is Turbulent Indigo. Now let's move to probably the most stripped back song on the entire album. There's really, no, I don't think there is any synths on this song. And it is probably the most personal of the songs on this album, which is Last Chance Lost. And this song is most likely Joni writing about her marriage and basically how there's there's no hope left. Like, the chance of saving the relationship over is over, and, like, there's just no redeeming thing that could kind of save what happened. I don't necessarily know why their marriage ended. Like, if anyone was wondering, like, oh, well, why did it end? I don't know. I don't have, you know, a... third eye does know what type of things go on in their marriage went on in their marriage but clearly Joni sees the marriage at a place of no return and that there's just no fixing what has been done like the damage has been done and it's just the chords on this song are just so sorrowful and like depressing and it's just it's so sad but it is a it's beautifully sad I can't describe it it's like songs on blue how they're so depressing but in like a very beautiful way. I don't know. A depression. I've actually 
Oh, is has Joni said that before? That like sadness can be very beautiful. I think she has said that before, and I I, I see that in this song. Like, she's basically. She says, you know, we talk of love in terms of sacrifice and compromise, like the last chance lost in the tyranny of a long goodbye. Like everything is kind of falling apart at the seams. There's all good aspects of the relationship are gone and there's just no glimmer of change or hope like to save it. And I really do love that Joni does these like har- self harmonizations in the song or it's like lost, lost. Like it's like her, you know, layering her own vocals together. I love when she does that. Like it always sounds absolutely brilliant. I also love the line on the song where she goes, the shrew will not be tamed. Like taming the shrew, like the play, but yeah, <laughs> I just like that line. It's really funny. Uh, funny and such a sad song. And I just, you know, like her singing on this song as well. is just very like dark. I wouldn't say it's, angry I would just say it's very upset and angry and upset is not the same thing before someone says well those are the exact same feelings no they're not they're very different um it's just I don't know she's mourning what once was and what now is I think is the general idea of this song and how there's just nothing left nothing can be done oh that's wait that's kind of sad because Larry wrote that song but anyways I do I love this song and I do love the outro so much. I just I wish this song was longer. I just realized it's really only like it's only like two minutes, I think. Like Sunny Sunday. A very short track, but it's so it could really use I I could I would love a third or second verse. I don't know. I guess that she just didn't feel like that would be the vibe, but I would have liked it. Anyways, <laughs> I I really love this this song. It's it's short but very impactful when you listen to it in the context of what's going on in her life. So the next three songs are kind of the more political. I don't even know if you'd say political, just social. Yeah, that's a better word. Social commentary songs, each going through kind of a different section. The first one goes through a real life event, like a real life place that has, you know, horrible things going on. Then we have one that goes into a real life kind of pandemic going on of physical violence against women or partners. And then the last one is basically about the social borderline of, you know, I don't know, morality (laughs) being lost over time. So there's these three tracks that each going through different things, but all kind of having a same message of the heartlessness and horrible things going on in the world. It's like, She's just you as you can see, Tony is very, very saddened by a lot during this time period. And uh the first one I'll talk about is the beautifully haunting Magdalene Laundries. Oh, Magdalene Laundries. What to say? It's uh this is definitely a lot of people's favorite song of this album. It was another one of the ones she did a lot on the promo tour. And I think people love this song so much because not only is it haunting, but there is a beautiful there's a beautiful way that she, the way she sings it is very sensitive. It's, it reminds me a lot actually of how, of, of Cherokee Louise. And that's another really dark song that people like a lot because I think she takes this such dark and depressing topic, but is able to kind of put it into really, a a really beautiful words and, and express her feelings about it so well. Um, this song came because her neighbor said, Joni, why are you always writing sad songs? Like, try to write as a happy song. And she was like, okay. So she went outside and I think she was in British Columbia and kind of tuned her guitar and then started playing this melody for Magdalene Laundries. And she was like, oh, okay. I kind of, kind of like this. And she was like, okay, I'm going to put some happy words to it. And then she went to the supermarket and she for some reason decided to get a magazine. She said, I'd never bought a magazine before. And I just randomly decided to get it. And in the magazine, she read about this story of Irish women at this place called the Magdalene laundries, which is basically a, these like asylums that were run by the Catholic church where they would have these women come and do like slave labor basically. And the women were put there because of the most, horrible stupid reasons like it would be like if they got you know pregnant by a man like by the pregnant by their own fathers or pregnant by a priest like sexually abused uh b 
be not being married by a certain age, all these horrible reasons that are just so unfair and unjust. Uh, I guess justice is a theme of this album, and that's another another kind of thing being examined here. It's just these women being unjustly put into these places, and a lot of them died there. They were, you know, worked to death, and they were just buried in unmarked graves on this land. And so basically, they, they closed down in the 70s, these Magdalene laundries, and these lands got sold. And eventually, when these lands got sold, and people bought them and started going into them, I think it was farmers, they found all these dead wadis, bodies in these, like, fields, and everyone was asking, what the fuck happened here? And this story about the Magdalene Laundries came out and it erupted this giant scandal, you know, in this area about what happened. And it's, it is absolutely so depressing that this ever even went on. I can't believe it went on. Like, I mean, I know it did, but it's just, it's horrible that women are put, were put into these places for nothing other than, you know, not being married or looking at men in the streets, like these horrible, horrible things. And I, and then Joni decided to put these horrible things on this happy melody that she had written. And she was like, well, okay, I guess it became a sad song. But by the way, if this is Joni's idea of a happy melody, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's really a happy melody, even without the lyrics, but that's another point. It's just the lyrics on this song are gut-wrenching. Like, we're trying to get things white as snow, us well-begotten daughters, or why do they call this heartless place our lady of charity? They'd like to drive us down the drains at the Magdalene laundries. It's just so gut-wrenching and so upsetting. And I don't know. I just, I, I love it though. I love it. It's the same way I love Cherokee Louise because I can sympathize and really kind of, I can connect myself to the story because of how well Joni tells it. Joni kind of puts herself in this first person perspective on this song where she is like a character inside the Magdalene laundry is like being put into them. Like, and she examines what's going on around her through this character lens. Like she wasn't, you know, obviously ever in the Magdalene laundries, but she does a great description of someone who might've been and their feelings. Like she's able to get in touch with that so well. And the final verse of this song is just like, it's so sad because it describes what happened to so many women. She says, Peg O'Connell died today. She was a flirt, like a cheeky girl, a flirt, and they just stuffed her in a hole. Like, surely to God, you'd think some bell would ring. And then she's like, I think I'm going to die here too. Like, this cycle's going to continue for this other woman. Like, there's no escaping this hell, this hell on earth that is the Magdalene Laundries. And she's just going to get stuffed in the dirt like everyone else here. And it's, it's so horrible that, I don't know. I keep saying that, but it's true. It's really sad that this ever went on, but the music to the song, the lyrics to the song and the way Joni sings it, it's just, it's so well done and so just really sensitive to the subject. And I, I, I love it so much. So obviously I would recommend anyone who's getting into this album to get into this track because it's just, it's beautiful and brilliant. And, uh, so much like Cherokee Louise. I'm really realizing that now as I think about it. Just these stories of unjust actions happening to these victims, these women that, well, I don't know if women want to be consider, consider themselves victims, but, you know, they were in a sense, like for what went on. But uh, yeah, that's, it's, yeah, it's such a sad song, but really beautiful and well done. And um, another, the next song is another example of, you know, a horrible, sad topic, but being really well done, which is not to blame. So this is a song about domestic violence, basically, in the, I mean, it's not a pandemic because it's not like a bacteria, but this epidemic of husbands or boyfriends beating up their girlfriends or wives for no reason other than, you know, I mean... It's absolutely horrible because it continues. Domestic violence is such an issue. And people, not men or women, but this song specifically about women, get abused by their partners sometimes or beaten by their partners sometimes for no reason other than, you know, making one small mistake or saying one wrong thing. And Joni's basically analyzing that in this song and how she, by the end of the song, tells the woman, you are not to blame. You are not the blame for this horrible thing. It is all on the man that did it to you. And it's like, that is such an empowering statement. Like 
saying that to a victim of domestic violence is just so empowering. Like you are not to blame. And I, I, I love, I love that, that feeling or sentiment. A lot of people say or thought that this song was about Joni's ex, Jackson Brown and his alleged abuse to his girlfriend. But when asked about it, Joni in an interview, she was like, look, let's not play who done it with my songs. Okay. Uh, l- listen for yourself. <laughs> but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if she was writing some reality. I think Jackson Brown wasn't he married to a uh, oh what was her name Phyllis Majors I think and she's who Joni talks about on a uh, on um song for Sharon you know woman I knew just drowned herself so that's a little fun fact anyways um Joni plays the piano on this song this has to be probably one of her first piano songs in a while I know Two Gray Rooms was a piano song but that was her piano playing from the eighties so you know we have a we have a new piano track by her and it's it's a beautiful chord progression. And I, I just love the way Joni plays piano so much. Like it's so unlike anyone else. And it just, it's so great with this song. Like the melody works so well with the lyrics. And she talks about like kind of the ironies of this charitable man who beats his wife, you know, your charitable, your charitable acts seem out of place because you're, you know, beating your wife and you're a part of this larger issue of men beating, excuse me, their, you know, girlfriends or wives for no reason. And uh, then the song kind of talks about, you know, doctors trying to, you know, help these survivors of domestic violence and, you know, goes into that. I don't particularly understand what the verse I heard your baby say when he was only three, like that verse. I don't really know what that, what that talks about. Like, I'm sure if I analyzed it more, I could figure it out, but that verse has always confused me. But either way, the song in the end of the chorus for the first like two verses it's basically from the man's perspective perspective. And he's like, no, she was out of line and I'm not to blame for beating her up. Like she, you know, got what she deserved. But then at the end of the song, Joni makes it clear that she says, no, he was out of line and you were not to blame. And I, I love that switch up at the end. It's so like, it, that's like very powerful. And also Wayne Shorter's on this song. And he, of course, Wayne Shorter always knocks it out of the park and he does a great job adding just some extra, I don't know, some extra emotion. Whenever Wayne plays, I feel like the emotion always gets heightened to a new level. He was just, he was such an amazing player. And like, that's so, so unfortunate that he passed away. He was so, so brilliant. I think there actually is a documentary coming out about him that Joni is in. I don't know if it's current footage of her speaking about him, but I know she's, she's in it. So maybe check that out. But yes, a great, a great piece on domestic violence. Really well done. I love not to blame. It's, it's a great song. Um, and then the final of this trio is the song Borderline, which this is kind of like sex kills in a way. It's like a similar angry, dark political kind of song where Joni sees kind of the world on the border of social collapse, basically. Like we as a society are slowly crossing, you know, a point of no return, which, uh, hello, we are at that same place still today, if not worse, you know, everyone is kind of dividing themselves into these borderlines. Well, okay. Actually, I should go back for a second. This song could be seen as two ways. One way I've seen it is that people say it's about the borderline of like, you know, social morality and people crossing, you know, a line of no return. I've seen that. But then I've also seen this song being talked about how people divide themselves into different groups and we've become so divided that we have no sense of like unity or welcomeness. Like we're all in these borderlines trying to fight against one another, which that probably is the more likely, you know, meaning of the song, but who knows? I love the acoustic guitar in the song. This, this actually, I, I think I lied. I think that this and last chance loss are both acoustic pure songs. And it's, it's so, it's another one of the really dark ones, but this one has like, there's an aggression to it. Like, especially like that every stone thrown through glass, every mean streets kick ass. Like she's pissed at how like everything is just going wrong socially. There's like, there's just no sense of hope anymore. And she says that like in the last song, like where is hope? Like, why are you wondering what went wrong? Like things are just getting so out of hand in all ways. Like, Thin skin, thick jokes. All liberty is laced with a borderline. Like, everything is just, is going wrong. And, you know, she's upset about it. There's a great, 
I, I've only seen one live performance of her doing it. It was at, um, oh, now I'm forgetting the university's name. But she did it at some university festival, I think, and it sounds so good. Like, she did such a, I love it live. Like, it's really well done. And I do love the chord progression on this song as well, especially in that part where she gets kind of more upset. Like, every da 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 Da, 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 da. like that part <laughs> can anyone guess like I don't know if when I hum it people can like tell what I'm singing but that's you know the part that I'm talking about but either way <laughs> excluding my humming I really love this song it's it's totally a forgotten track like I never hear anybody talk about it but it's really well done so whatever uh there's a good travelogue version of it which I'll talk about and god that's like wow travelogue is so soon I didn't realize it that's in like two albums I have two more to go after that wow hmm how time changed. Nothing lasts for long. Anyways, <laughs> so that is Borderline. A really, I mean, I don't have too much to say about it. It's it's a longer song, but it's it's a really kind of aggressive, darker song about you know just society decaying and yeah, a great a great track. But now we go into the second to last song, which is a softer and a kind of mysterious song, a character study called Evet in English. Oh, wait, there's, that's just what it's called. Yeah, <laughs> A Vet in English. So A Vet in English is kind of an interesting track because it was written by Joni, but the original lyrics kind of come from David Crosby. So he has credits on this song as written by Joni and David Crosby. Uh, the story was that David had written some words for a song in 1993, and he really wasn't he wasn't like it wasn't working the way he thought it was and he asked Joni if she could produce a song and she said no but I'll help write one and so he said okay here are some lyrics I have do what you will with it and so she kind of drafted this song that became Yvette in English I should say this song to me I've really never understood like what it's about I don't really know if there's like a darker a, a darker uh feeling to it that I've just never or darker meaning to it that I've never understood it's just it's kind of like a moody atmospheric song about this woman like this French woman in a cafe talking to this man kind of you know speaking with him or as they say he's fumbling with her foreign tongue kind of this infatuation with each other um but it's still it's an interesting song I always the chord progression is so much like only joy in town if you really think about it like that like Da, 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 da. And then this song is like, da, 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 da. like they kind of like I don't know they coordinate really well. If you know like the chords of them, they they have a kind of similar vibe. Anyways, um, it's just I don't know. There's not too much to say about this song. Like there's just some interesting lyrics. Like it's just kind of a I feel like this song is just a way for Joni to be very colorful with language, telling like a very simple story. Like if I were a p- painter, Picasso said I'd I'd paint this girl from toe to head. Uh, at least I think that was Joni's line. I don't know. I don't know which ones like David wrote and Joni wrote. I'm sure you could find that out, but you know, I don't know. There's not too much to say. It's just, you know, a character study of this woman named Yvette trying to speak to this man in English, asking for a light of her cigarette and all that stuff. There's just, yeah, not, not too much to say, but give it a listen, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Not, not, I do like the melody and the atmosphere of it, but yeah, that's about it. Anywho, so now, oh wait, damn, we're already on the final track. Now we're on the final track of this album, which is The Sire of Sorrow, Job's Sad Song. And as you will see, this is a fucking brilliant, sad fucking song that I just love so much. One of Joni's best closers, Fight Me, I Don't Care. It is so good. It is, oh, like, it is such a way of Joni just letting out everything she feels at this time period and just like spitting it out. And she does kind of what she does in Turbulent Indigo using like Van Gogh as kind of a catharsis for her feelings. Here she uses the Old Testament character of Job as a kind of catharsis of his, of her feelings. Uh, Job in the Old Testament, I should say, kind of gives some explanation. He is this man that he is very faithful to God, but he's, you know, rich, has a family, has all this nice life. And one day Satan, says to him like well you, you know if you weren't faithful to god you wouldn't have any of this basically and he was like oh and god and god was like that's not true look i'll take everything away and he'll still he'll still believe in me 
And so he does. <laughs> Fuck. Well, God, why would you do that? So God takes everything away from Job. And basically Job becomes like poor. He gets these like lesions on his skin. He's has all these horrible things happen to him. And throughout the Bible or throughout the Old Testament, he's basically saying like, God, why are you doing this to me? He doesn't become unfaithful, but he's like, why are you putting me through all this when I have so much faith in you and you took everything away from me? And in the end, God rewards him by giving him a better life than he ever had in the beginning because he was so faithful. But this song goes through that, those feelings and takes some of the actual words from Job's story that he says to God and kind of has this idea of why do you put people that are good and, you know, good people through horrible things. And Joni kind of sees herself in this way, I think, as well. And she opens the song very honestly. Let me speak. Let me spit out my bitterness. And I think that's all she wants to do. She just wants, like, will, will someone please just hear me? Let me speak. Let me let me just spit out my anger, frustration, bitterness. Let me just get it all out. And, like, it's Joni putting herself in Job's place and writing a truthful like intense explosion of her emotion, frustration, anger, sadness, all of these things. I think some of it, like there's some parts of the song where she talks about, you know, relationships. There's one part where she talks about Morgellons, which uh, Morgellons is basically the disease Joni has basically talked about she's having since the, I think it's the 90s, where it's some sort of disease where they say it's like, lesions on the skin out for no reason i mean she says that on sex kills too these like these tumors on my skin like there's except doctors don't necessarily believe it's real and some of them think it's like kind of uh is it called like psychosomatic where you like tell yourself you're sick when you're not actually sick but Joni claims that her and a bunch of other people have it so i guess we have to go with what she says and at one point in the song, she says, look who comes to counsel my deep distress. All these pompous positions, what carelessness. Like, they don't understand the actual pain she's going through with this disorder that she has. Or at least, you know, that's what she says. I don't really actually know much about Morgellons, so I can't say whether it's real or not. But I think she talks. that's what she's talking about in this song. Uh, I love the line, my loves are dead or dying and they don't come near. That's another one where people are like, oh, that's about AIDS patients saying like their loves are dying. But I just think that she's just talking about how her relationship with Larry's over. And also Job in the book loses all of his love. So, you know, I think that's what that's about. Um, but I, one of the best parts of this song for me truly is when she cuts in with her own vocals and does like the, Man is the sire of sorrow, sure as the sun's ascending. Like, I love when she cuts in with that kind of descriptor voice. I don't really know how to describe it. Like, that just basically explains it all. Man is the sire of sorrow. And, you know, the sire meaning, like, man is the one who fathers sorrow or gets inflicted with it. And then she goes on to talk about, you know, why do you starve the faithful? Why do you crucify the saints? You let the wicked prosper. Like, you let all these bad people have good things. Why can't I have anything? Uh, like, why would God punish someone who's not worth punishing? And I think Joni feels that way in her life. Like, she's cast out of love. She's cast out of success. And she's cast out of, you know, all these other things. And there's just this overall bitterness for not being recognized for good work, not being recognized in love all of these things. And she's just saying, why is this happening to me? I'm a decent person. And why am I getting this? And she's using Job as kind of the similar, you know, person going through something that she feels at this time. And I love the music on this song as well, because it's a great combination of synth sounds of guitar and of Wayne's sax on here. And it just all sounds so good. Like Wayne blares it out on this song and, the way she sings it is like honest and brutal and raw and it's just it's so good i love the line better i was carried from the womb straight to the grave i see the diggers waiting they're leaning on their spades like this idea of people like already waiting for her to just go away you know i think that she probably feels that like the music industry is trying to do that to her like they're just waiting for her to mess up so she'll kind of go away it's kind of like what she talks about in for the roses actually like speculation well who's to know if the next one in the nest will glitter for it so like this idea of you know nothing you know your fame won't last forever i don't know so yes i just I, I love this song so much and she ends it by saying you make everything i dread and everything i fear come true 
And I think that's how she feels during this time period. Everything she's dreading and everything she's fearing is happening all at once, you know, pre this album, like during this album being made. Post this album being made, some positive things, I guess, happened. Like Joni, I think, reunites with her daughter before the next album. And also, I think she just, you know, kind of gets into a different place. But at this time, it's very dark and upsetting and all these things. So... Yeah, ter- the Sire of Sorrow is one of the best tracks for me off this album and one of her best closers. I I truly, truly love it so much. And it's actually it's actually gotten a lot more appreciation by some people. So thanks guys for giving it that because it's what it deserves. But uh, yeah, that is Turbulent Indigo. Wow, I talked about it actually a lot faster than I expected, but it is there's so much to talk about and think about with this album it's so good it really feels like a true i don't know uh magnus opus is that what they call it like peace de resistance it's like that like big perfect work of the 90s like every i think every decade joni has there's that one work that is the true standpoint like for me the 70s it's hygiera the 80s it's chalk mark and this one it's it's a turbulent indigo not nightmare home turbulent indigo and I just, I love it so, so, so much. I, of course, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10 rating because what else? What else would it get? Um, my favorite song is either Sire of Sorrow or Turbulent Indigo. They kind of, I think it's Sire of Sorrow, but Turbulent Indigo on a Good Day is is one I really enjoy. Or Sex Kills. I like those ones a lot. My least favorite is Yvette in English because there's just not enough to say about it. I don't know. And also it's really long. <laughs> it's like five minutes and I'm like, I don't have five minutes to listen to this character. It's kind of like coming from the cold. Like I don't have six minutes to come in from the cold with you, Joni. Sorry. But <laughs> either way, either way, I love this album so much. I absolutely adore majority of the songs on here. I love playing them on guitar. This is definitely one of those songs, one of those albums that like, I constantly am hearkening back to when I want to play Joni songs on guitar or piano. Like I love kind of exploring these ones again over and over because just the lyrics and the melodies are so, so good. But uh, yeah, I think that's all I have for this week on Turbulent Indigo. And next time Joni takes a little break and we're going to be getting into her final 90s album, which was intended to be her final album overall. And that would be Taming the Tiger, which is going to be very interesting to talk about. I haven't really listen to that in a hot minute. So I'm very excited for that. But uh, once again, thank you all so much for listening uh, this week. Uh, I should just actually take a moment to say thank you all so much for listening overall. I know we're kind of entering sort of not the final period, because that would be the 2000s. But you know, this is really Joni's last giant work that people talk about. And I just want to say thank you all so much for listening thus far. It's really I enjoy doing this so much. I enjoy talking about Joni's music so much and uh, I do it, you know, I hope people enjoy listening to me talk about it too. Uh, And I really appreciate all the feedback I get from people and people, you know, just enjoying it. So I would just like to say that before we enter kind of the, the final nineties album and then kind of the end of her, her career with the, you know, both sides now travelogue and shine. No, I'm not doing Joni at Newport because that is not Joni's album. That is Brandy's album. I do, however, uh, I would love to hear if people are interested. I was thinking because Archives 3 comes out, actually, as I'm recording this, it comes out tonight. Uh, And uh, I was thinking I might do an Archives episode, just one like little mini episode talking about some of my favorite Archives songs. But so if anyone's interested in that, let me know. Maybe I'll do it. Um, But overall, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Go stream Turbulent Indigo. It's brilliant, brilliant piece of work. Piece piece of work? No. Yo. Yo. Yeah, piece of art. There we go. Uh, (laughs) And I will see you all next time on Taming the Tiger. Yes. Bye.